Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. As we begin our Bible study tonight, church, we are picking up basically where we left off last week. If you recall, we started out with uh, a quote, and, and here's how the quote goes. It says, history provides a forensic evidence when it comes to biblical prophecy. Let me say that again. History provides a forensic evidence when it comes to biblical prophecy. Now think about that. You and I have the privilege of looking back at history even before it was prophesied and going, oh, that's forensic evidence And it's not only that, it's history to us, but it was biblical prophecy to those who were prophesying. And so we can always look back. Now, the reason, reason we started out with a quote last week is because Daniel in chapter 7 and in chapter 8, he would foretell the future so accurate that most people who wanted to reason away the scriptures, who wanted to reason away the biblical prophecies, no, 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 <laughs> no, it, it, that, that, oh no, that couldn't have happened. Are you serious? No, see, here's what happened. He, he saw history and then he prophesied, he wrote it down and everybody, ooh, no, 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 no. No, he prophesied before it happened. And that's what chapter 7 and chapter 8 does. But most people... Most people who want to reason away, if you will, the predictive biblical prophecies, and and people who want to disprove the Bible, they want to disprove the Bible, they want to disprove the prophecies, they basically automatically go to Daniel. And you go, why, Pastor? Well, again, remember, they're so unbelievably accurate, and they've been literally fulfilled by history, so they say, no, it can't be, it can't be. So this is kind of where they go. And yet you and I know history provides forensic evidence when it comes to biblical prophecy. Last week, if you recall, we talked about a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. He was chapter 8 little horn. He was chapter 8's little horn. A man who would provide forensic evidence of what is to come in the future. But here's why it's important. You see, another man is on the horizon. Another man is coming. Another man is so close that we have no idea that he's alive and well today. You go, what do you mean? Well, another man is going to come. He's going to offer, he's going to confirm the peace treaty. And much like Antiochus did around the three and a half year mark, he will come in and he will will desolate the temple. So, so Antiochus Epiphanes does that. We talked about that. But not only that, church, here the Antichrist is going to do the same. As a matter of fact, if you're taking note, jot this down, Jesus actually speaks of this event in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But let me kind of tell you basically what's happening. Okay, right now we're living in the world in 2023. We have seen such a upheaval since March of 2020. We have seen things change so radically. Each day brings a new radical movement in in, in the closer we are to the Lord. You see, we, we, we're starting to see things that we've never seen before in our world. 
And so what happens now, lies is you know what's going to happen next. You and I are going to be busy, whatever it might be. You might be at work. You might be on your lazy boy at home. You might be driving around, whatever it might be. And, and the Lord Jesus, we know this from the word of God, the Lord Jesus is going to come. He's not going to put his foot on earth. He's going to come down. He's going to, with a shout and the voice of an archangel, he's going to say, come on up here. And we, in a moment, will be transferred from this life to the next. Now, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. That is something called the rapture, the rapture of the church. Now, if you're taking note, you can make a note in your Bible somewhere, but I want you to see this is what the enemy is going to start to attack in these last days, the rapture of the church. Oh, there's no such thing as the rapture. There's no such thing. The rapture is not even in the Bible, and you're going to see all of this stuff starts coming out. You and I, we need to hold firm to what the Word of God says. It's the, it's the word harpazo. It's to be snatched away very quickly. We know that's coming. You go, okay, I got it. I'm out of here. The dead in Christ rise first. Now, again, it's not going to be like you'll be walking and you'll see, boom, boom, all these graves go because it says in Corinthians that it's in the twinkling of an eye. Half a blink. We're out of here. Half a blink. So you and I won't have time to go, oh, Lord, please forgive me. Um, you know, that's why salvation is so important. Once we're covered and we're, and, we're, and we're filled with God's Holy Spirit and we're born again, we won't have time at any moment. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? There you are. You're driving down Loop 289. You're born again and you have, you have Christian music on. You got a bumper sticker, a Calvary Lubbock bumper sticker, and follow me to church. And you got all these men. There you are driving. And, and you're a, someone just steps out right in front of you. Just that car. You know, it's like, oh! And you want to think a bad thought. Can you imagine the rapture happening at that point? Right? We, you don't have time to go, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I didn't mean to yell at this poor old man. Oh. That's why we're saved. We're saved. Now, try not to yell at old people who pull out in front of you. Okay? Just kind of make it a rule. Be like, okay, Lord. What happens at that point is the tribulation doesn't start with the rapture. You see, the tribulation won't start until the peace treaty is signed. You go, well, how long is that between the rapture? I don't know. It could be months. It could be, it could be a year. I, I don't know. But the peace treaty will sign. That's the sign. Come on, church of the, the tribulation going forth when God pours out his wrath on an unbelieving world. Remember, I told you this. This is so important, church. Listen, when you and I are disappear, boom, and chaos and destruction and all of the stuff ensues in the world, they're going to need a savior to pull, or at least a fake savior to put everything back to normal. And so what's going to happen is that all of a sudden, they're going to be scrambling. This guy's going to step up and says, here, this is what we need to do. If you want things to go back to normal, do this, this, and this. And everybody's going to follow him. And once the tribulation starts, what Daniel's telling us is around the three and a half year mark, what Jesus is telling us is right around the three and a year mark, he's going to walk into a temple. Now, there's not a temple in Jerusalem right now. There's not a temple, but they're real close. We're probably within a year to a year and a half of something being built. Why? Because the red heifers are a year and a half. They need to be three before they can start offering this red heifer. So you've got everything in place. There's going to be a temple. He's going to go in. He's going to desolate the temple. He's going to claim that he's God. He's going to offer pig's blood on the, on the altar, and Israel's going to freak out. They're, 
You can talk about that in Matthew 24. That's what's going to happen. So according to Daniel 9.27, there's going to be some sort of treaty between Israel and the world, particularly this, the control of the entire Temple Mount and the Temple Mount. Notice with me, Daniel 9.27 in your Bible. It says, he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. I want you to look at your Bibles. Notice the word confirm. Very interesting word. The word confirmed means he's already to establish. It doesn't say he's going to begin a new peace treaty. He's not going to. There's already something in place. What if you and I, tomorrow morning, we heard in the news that there is a, there is a working covenant that people are trying to get so that there can be peace on the Temple Mount and there can be peace on the earth between all, everyone in Israel. Wow, whoa, is this it? The Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant for one week. That's seven years. So we know that's important. If they're working on something tomorrow and you see it on the news and it says, hey, this treaty, this peace treaty, however they want to call it, is only good for seven years, everybody goes, oh, when is that going to happen? So you know, he's giving us some insight into the word. He says, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. On the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate. This is, notice, this is what Daniel's saying. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out, is desolate. You go, what, what's he saying? Okay, here's what he's saying. Daniel says, the peace treaty is going to involve something to where they can offer sacrifices on the Temple Mount. Now, let me just give you, this is just my opinion, okay? My opinion only. I'm not standing behind the pulpit. I want to give you several schools of thought. There's a school of thought going out there right now that the original temple was not on the Temple Mount at all. That was actually in the city of David. Now, the reason they say this is because there's running water in the city of David. You need running water for sacrifices. There was not running water up on the Temple Mount. That's a school of thought. Can you imagine if they came and go, oh, we don't need anything up where the, where the, you know, the, mod, the Dome of the Rock is. We don't have anything to do. We're going to start offering right here. We found a piece of land, and we're going to build that. Boom. It could be done without even having to go against the Muslims, the Arabs, anything up on the Temple Mount. Just a school of thought. People think that's, that's a school of thought. Another school of thought is that the Temple Mount is so big you have the Dome of the Rock on one side, and then you have this giant courtyard, this huge two, three football field kind of, what if they said, hey, how about this? How about we put a wall? We'll build the temple right here. You can access it through here. You can worship. They can worship. Here's the peace treaty. How about that? Everybody's happy. And the Jews go, yeah, that's great. We get to come up. We get to come up. Nobody bothers anyone. And how long would that take? So you go, wow, wow. I'm not sure how this is going to go down. But we know it is. We know it is. Cynthia, if we're privileged to go in 2024, Mary, we'll go to the Temple Institute. We'll see that they have everything ready. And they're probably even more excited now because the last time I was there, they didn't have the red heifers. They didn't have those. Now, 
when Adam and Tiffany and I went last time, um, we didn't go into the, the Temple Institute. You have to pay 10 bucks, and I had already seen it before. But I bet they're even more excited. They actually have priests, I told you this, they have priests ready to offer the sacrifices. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Here's the point. Everything is being accelerated in our lives. So here's how I would look at, this is just my opinion right here. Church, this is how we should look at our lives. We should just enjoy life. The Lord is coming back for us soon. And, and I know that the enemy's coming and we're being bombarded in our minds and we got all this and we got all this technology and we got all this information, but we need to take a step back and we need to decompress and we go, Lord, you know what? I need to not let that bother me. Our struggles that we have are still, we're always going to have those struggles. But don't let him rob you of the joy that you have in the Lord. We have to sit back. Now, the problem is, is that you and I, we're constantly doing the same things every day. We're going to work. We're trying to make money. We're trying to make a living. We're doing this. We're doing that. And we're in this routine, are we not? And we don't see an end result. We go, oh, okay, well. Sometimes I think we got it wrong, church. We work how many years? 30 years, 40 years to retire. And then when we're retired, we don't have the energy to do what we wanted to do. And there really is no other way unless you were born with a silver spoon and you made a lot of money and whatever else and you could retire at 35. But, but people work so hard all their lives and then the moment they get a little bit of freedom, okay, I'm going to retire, okay, I'm not going to work anymore. They don't have the energy to go out and travel and, and all that stuff. I get it. But the exhortation for us is, okay, Lord's coming back, could come back today, could come back tomorrow, could come back next week. Let's not sweat the small stuff. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to enjoy life. Take advantage of those things. So three and a half years, the Antichrist. This is Daniel telling us with such, I mean, not only is he saying that Antiochus is going to do it, he doesn't know. It's 150 years, guys, and so he doesn't know Antiochus Epiphany is going to do this. He's prophesying. But it's a dual prophecy. Antiochus, and everybody goes, oh, and now we're going to, not us, the world's going to see it. The world's going to see it. Now, let me give you a side note. I found it very interesting. There's something called the Jerusalem Mufti, M-U-F-T-I. And the Graham Mufti in Jerusalem is the Sunni Muslim cleric, and this person is in charge of the Jerusalem's Islamic holy temple, holy places, including the Ali Osk Mosque which sits atop of the Temple Mount. I don't know if you knew this, but in recent years, about three or four years ago, he declared the Temple Mount does not belong to Israel, although they had went through the wars and all of this stuff. He says this is a Muslim holy site. And for some reason, they were actually even well claiming the Western Wall as well. Well, he knew that he didn't have a case, and eventually he dropped a case, but I found it interesting that all of a sudden he's going, there's this, there's, there's, there's this tension. There's just amazing tension. Now, if you go to Israel, if you go to Israel and you go to Jerusalem, there's going to be tension. You can feel the tension. If you walk down the place um, where the buses are and the place of the skull, you can feel the tension and you can, you can just feel it, I'm telling you. 
But nowhere do you feel that tension even more than up on the Temple Mount. They, you just, man. And so there's all this tension. And you go, Pastor, okay, you talked about the Grand Mufti, and what, what's the point? Well, in our world today, we're actually set up for Daniel 9.27 to take place. We're actually set up considering all the tension in the Middle East and in the Temple Mount. So it's right there. But I'd like to know what Jesus said about this. Did Jesus, Daniel 9.27, but what did Jesus say? Well, according to Matthew 24 and 15, he says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet or spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, notice what Jesus says, whoever reads, let him understand, then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down or take anything out of his house. Let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and for those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever, or shall ever, shall be. Okay, so here's what Jesus said. Now we're going to go back and and, and kind of get the gist of this, but let's break this down. This is is interesting, okay? He says, when you see the abomination of desolation. Okay, so in our mind, Daniel, okay, chapter 8, he's already told us with Antiochus Epiphanes that he already did the abomination of desolation in the temple. Antiochus IV changes name to Epiphanes. Epiphanes means deity. That was a preview. That was a preview. So Jesus says, hey, when you see... Now, he's speaking to Israel. He's speaking... He, he says, when you see this, you see them. He goes, man, man, listen, whoever reads, let them understand. He said, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. All of a sudden, they're going to tear their clothes. They're going to be in mourning. They're going to realize, oh my goodness... We've been duped. He is not the Christ. He's not the Meshach. He is evil. And they're going to say, man, go, fly. Fly to the mountains there in Judea. Now, something interesting in Israel. Sounds like an Israel commercial. But you can go from Jerusalem, lush, green. You can, the, 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 the um, area there where the Galilee sits, beautiful, lush. But you can also go up a little past that, and it's just mountainous rocks. And it's unbelievable. And I mean, you just go like, man, you can be in two different countries and not even leave Israel. It's unbelievable. So he says, hey, go to the mountains, fly, get out of there. He says, if you're on the housetop, don't go down and take anything in the house. Now, remember, why would Jesus be so adamant to this? Here's why. Because the Antichrist is going to be a lot like Antiochus Epiphanes. He's so evil and ugly that his goal is to kill the Jewish people. And so Jesus is warning them, hey, you're up on the housetop, you know, because they don't go down. Don't get your clothes and, 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 and just run, run over to Petra. And he goes, and a matter of fact, he says, woe to you who are pregnant. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being nine months pregnant and all of a sudden, boom, three and a half years. He goes, whoa. And those who are nursing babies. Wow. And he says, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Why not the Sabbath? Because everything shuts down in Israel on the Sabbath. You're trying to get out. You're trying to get out of there. You're trying to get out of Jerusalem. There's not a taxi. There's nothing. There's not an Uber, anything. It's going to be shut down. 
Now remember, okay, I wanna I wanna just put something in your memory. Rapture's taken place, world has gone chaotic, Antichrist comes in, tries to fix everything, he's gonna already have things in place. He's gonna have he's gonna have protocol in place, you know that. We in the United States are already turning over some of our sovereignty to world organizations. Okay, so he's going to have things in place that is going to prevent certain things. What if it's all electric cars? And the Antichrist goes, kill the grid. Pray your flight is not in winter. How are you going to go? Pray it's not in the Sabbath. What if it's not even a world thing? And, and he says, okay, in the Sabbath, there's not going to be any transportation, no buses, no... And so again, he's... He's talking about, I want to put that in your brain. Why? Because Jesus gave us a back to the future moment. What do you mean? We went back in time to 538 BC when Daniel tells us the foretelling of the little horn, Antiochus Epiphany, around 150 BC, only to see it foretold when the Antichrist comes after we're gone. After we're gone. Now, in Matthew's Gospel 24, for next week as well, just kind of mark that, I want to give you a glimpse of what Jesus said will happen. Okay, we're going to go back to Matthew here in just a minute. But, but for the sake of Daniel, I want you to think about Daniel for just a moment. Why? Because right now, as he's writing this, he's about 80 years old. He's about 80 years old, and my mind can't help but go back and think about this man. He was a Hebrew, listen, in Babylon that faced such a dilemma. You see, Daniel was a young man who was taken into captivity. His now adopted country, if you will, he actually rose to political prominence. Now, besides King Darius, Daniel was in service to three other kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Cyrus. So he's gone through all of this later in his career. When the end of the 70-year exile was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, man, Daniel goes, wait, what? And he read it, and he felt this tremendous relief and a burden. And what happened is as he read the book of Jeremiah, it actually spurred and led Daniel to this prayer in Daniel chapter 9. So think about this. Here's Daniel thinking, how long is this going to be? How long is this going to be? How long? Ten years? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar's dead. Fifteen years, twenty, thirty? Then he reads Jeremiah and he goes, oh my goodness, we're going to be here 70 years. We're going to be here 70 years. Now Daniel's already 80, so he's going, okay, okay. Now here's what I want. I want us tonight to learn his prayer. His prayer was profound. Why? Because as we read it, here's what I want you to see. Understand that Daniel identified with transgressors, he identified with sin, and he identified the offense. He did. The most startling confession of Daniel is the statement, we have sinned against you. And so I want you to dwell on this, because I'm calling this message tonight, it's almost time, let's pray. It's almost time, let's pray. You go, Biden, why would you call it that? Well, here's why. Listen, Tonight we discover that the time of exile is almost over. 
It was a time for Daniel and his people to go home. Wait, it's almost over. We get to go home. So what does he do? He does what any good Hebrew does. He starts to pray. He starts to pray. Now, think about that for us. Think about that for us. Church, listen to me. It's almost time for us to go home. What should we be doing? We should be praying. We should be praying. You see, the problem is, is that when Daniel read in the scripture, he read, oh, it's almost time. It's almost, it's almost time. Oh, my goodness. It's, um, it moved in his heart. And yet you and I, we see the signs of the time and we go, oh, no, I think we have another 15, 20, 30 years. We should be going, oh, it's almost time. It's almost time. We should pray. We should pray. We should pray. Listen, church, it's almost time for us to go home. If we understood and knew all the prophetic events that took place just this week, we know that time is short. We know that time is short. You see, God gave us warning signs, and he gave us birth pains so that you and I could go, oh, okay, okay. And so you and I would be ready for his return. Now, let me say this because many people have taken it to heart. You ready? You plan your life like Jesus isn't coming back for 100 years. Okay, we're not going to be like the Essenes and gather everybody together and go sit in a mountaintop with our sack lunches and hope that Jesus comes back. We're not going to do that. We're going to plan our lives. But we're going to live our lives like he's coming back in the next five seconds. We need to live our lives like he's coming back. What does that mean? That means confession. That means prayer. That means walking humbly. That means being men and women of integrity. That means saying sorry. That means being broken. That means being so different than the world that, that somebody actually stands up and takes notice. Wow. Wow. Let's look at Matthew 24 again. We'll start in verse 1, guys. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Then the disciples came and showed him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another. That shall not be thrown down. Look at verse 3. Now when he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of your age? Okay. So again, picture you and I as Daniel. We're reading the book of Jeremiah and we're coming to He goes, okay, so tell us, Lord, when are you going to come back for us? Isn't that a great question? Lord, when are you coming back for us? He goes, okay, here, here's the thing. He says, first and foremost, take heed that no one deceives you. Okay. So now we need to set up a guard in our hearts. We've got to set up guards in our heart. The word of God has to guard our hearts so that we're not deceived. We're not deceived by the enemy on the outside, and we're not deceived by people on the inside. Listen to me, church. Listen. No matter what you see on YouTube or anything else, listen to me. Stick to the word of God. There's a lot of popular pastors. There's a lot of popular um, spiritualist, there's a lot of pop, there's a lot of stuff out there. Stay, well, pastor, my my he preaches the word of God. No, no, no. Does he teach you the word? Does it does it get inside you? Does it make a change? My exhortation to you and me is not to be deceived. That's what Jesus said. I don't want to be deceived. Ask the Lord, please, please. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. Why? He says, well, here's, here's another one. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. 
There'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by nations, by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Here's the point. It's like reading today's newspaper. Do you realize over the Memorial Day weekend, three Marines out in California asked very nicely a group of young kids and and young adults to not shoot fireworks off at the beach. And instead of respecting the lawlessness of people, they beat up those three Marines. 30 of them. It's pure evil. It's pure evil. Where do we live? Where do we live? It's a sad situation, church, when people can walk into a convenience store and take whatever they want and nobody does anything about it because we're not going to infringe on anyone's rights. I think in Lubbock, Texas, you'll still get arrested, so don't go out and try to take anything. But in other places, I'm telling you, it's changing and it's turning. This is what he said. We're going to hear all... We've, we've heard all about this, guys. We've heard nation... Rise against nation, right? We've heard wars, rumors of wars, World War I, World War II, kingdom against kingdom. Man, he says, he says they're going to deliver you. I mean, think about this. Many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, it's time to go home. He's writing this to us. You see that every day. These are just little things that we hear each day. Little things. Little things. Over in Mississippi, I don't know if you heard about this one. In Mississippi, there was a domestic disturbance. Uh, mom told her 11-year-old to call 911 because the dad came in and it wasn't, I don't even think he was the married dad. He was ex something like that, right? And so the cops came. They yelled for everyone to get out of the house. And then one of the cops shot the 11-year-old boy. For no reason. And this broke my heart. Where are we living? Where are we living? Are we, are we turning a blind eye to what's going on in the world? And we have to be... We have to wake up, church. We have to go, wow. Wow, it's a poor 11-year-old boy. There's so many. There's so many. I can't even tell you. Last week we talked about the L.A. Dodgers and how they, they had invited. I can't even get into it. They invited and they uninvited and then everybody got mad and so they re-invited them and they have these. You know what? That's in a direct attack on Christianity. Yeah, but you know what? All the pro teams, they have a faith night and, and they do worship songs and all that. Yeah, but we're, we're inviting blatant evil to come in? Yeah, because we're an all-inclusive world, aren't we? We, we just want to every... No, 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 no. No. This world belongs to God. It's not. It's not. Daniel... Daniel was doing the same thing that you and I are doing tonight. Church, listen, he was, 
he was reading Jeremiah and he goes, whoa, guess what? It's almost time. What should we do? We should pray. We should pray. So with that as our intro, let's jump into chapter 9. I promise we'll move pretty quick. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Asurius, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood the books and the numbers of the years specified in the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, and that he would accomplish, what, 70 years in the desolation and the desillusions of Jerusalem. Desolations, okay? So, here it is. If you're taking notes, what happens now in chapter 9 happens around the same time as chapter 6. Now, here's the point. Daniel is about 81 to 83 years old at this point in his life. And he goes, man, I understood the books. What's that? Well, Daniel chapter 9 is the most amazing, significant, prophetic passage in the Bible. And it begins with Daniel understanding the application of prophecy. And so now Daniel understands the word of God and the prophecy. And so his reaction is to pray, is to pray. Notice, and here's what I want you to write down. It's almost time to go home. It's almost time. He's like, are you kidding me? I love the fact that Daniel recognizes that God is sovereign. And he said 70 years, and that's how long it was. God's not like, well, 70, maybe 80. I don't know. If y'all are good little boys and girls, (laughs) maybe 60. No, he said 70 years, 70 years. And he goes, man, it's 70 years. Now let's take a look at Daniel's prayer. Daniel was a godly man. And and realized that his nation had sinned greatly against God. And he prays to make it right with God. He prayed to confess the sins that brought curses on the Israelite people. He prayed to confess the sin that that separated Israel from God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a breakdown of Daniel's prayer if you're taking note. Now, here's what I want you to write down. Remember the Jewish Amidah. The Jewish Amidah. We had talked a lot about the Jewish Amidah. And it starts with praise. In verse 4, we're going to see his prayers, praise to God. When we get together here in a few minutes to pray, that should be our very first thing. Church, we need to give praise to God. We need to give praise to God. Praise him for what? Man, just praise him. Praise him. Number two, and verses 5 through 11, we're going to see Daniel's confession. That's the next thing we should do. We should confess. In verses 11 to 14, we're going to see the results of sin. We need to take those in account to our own lives. Then we're going to see the prayer request in 15 and 16, and then we're going to see a second prayer request. You go, what's the second prayer request? Do you remember this? In the Amidah? He asked the Lord to hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. I'm convinced that way back in Daniel chapter 2, when, when old King never, can never, can never Remember was going to kill all the wise people, that Daniel actually prayed the Amidah and said, Lord, give me wisdom. But he starts off with praise. I want you for just a moment, and and this isn't to bust anybody. I love you guys because I'm the same way. I want you to take a moment to think about your prayer life. And sometimes we go, dear Lord, I come before you, and then we start asking. We start asking immediately, and we forget to praise God. We forget to offer him all of that. And we have to, oh, Lord, I'm so convicted. Sometimes, Sometimes when we pray for our food, it's real simple. Lord, bless the food. Amen. Now, let me just say this. I'm not asking you to pray for 15 minutes till the food gets cold. You understand that? You have those people, right? Oh, man, don't ever ask brother so-and-so to pray. The food will get cold, right? So you start praying with them, 
Then you start praying for him, and then eventually you start praying against him. You know, it's like, hey, enough. The food's getting cold. So that's just being silly, but you guys know what I'm saying. But he prayed. Now, what's the purpose of the prayer? Point number two. Here's the outline. Here's point. The main point of this prayer is nothing, listen to me, nothing but confession before God. This is a very important function of prayer. Confession of our sins to God. See, verse 4 clearly states, when Daniel writes, he prayed to God and confessed. Now, I want you to think of Daniel. Daniel was, Daniel was head and shoulders above everyone else. Daniel was the guy who says, man, I'm not going to sin with the king's delicacies. I, I'm just, just give me some fruits and vegetables. I'm telling you. We'll do. He, but yet, here he is confessing. Why? Why? Because Daniel read the scripture written by Jeremiah, the prophet, and came to realize that Israel had sinned, and he was part of Israel. What else is part of it? How about repentance? Repentance, a changing of the mind, a willingness to take responsibility for sin and move away from it. Let me give you number three. What should we learn tonight from Daniel's prayer? First and foremost, Daniel names the sins when confessing. Number two, Daniel recognizes to God, the results of sin. Number three, Daniel requests God to take away his wrath. And number four, Daniel asks God to hear his prayer. So he names the sins, guys. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to ask God, and we're going to ask to take away his wrath. From where? From our country, from our city, to protect us. Okay, so we're going to move pretty fast from here at this point. Daniel Chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel says, I set my face toward the Lord, the Lord God, to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I love that. Daniel says, wait, 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 stop, stop, wait. It's almost time. It's almost time. What should we do? Let's pray. And here's his prayer. He says, man, I set my face toward the Lord God, and I said, and I began to pray. But he prayed with supplication. He prayed with fasting. He played with sackcloth. And with ashes, there's mourning. There's mourning for sin. This often reminds me of what Paul, the apostle, taught in Philippians 4.6. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is Paul saying? He says, don't worry, worship. Don't worry, ask. So here's one. Ready? Let's look at the prayer. Praise to God. This is how our prayer should be. Daniel 9.4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Your attention, please. This is not trying to butter God up and be like, hey, God, you're the best, and I'm going to ask you for something. You know how we do when we were kids. This is how we do. Oh, Mom, you're the prettiest mom in the whole wide world. Okay, what do you want? That's not what Daniel's doing. What Daniel's doing is he's got a real walk with God, and he knows who God is, first and foremost. And Daniel understands we don't deserve anything. So I'm not trying to butter God up. I'm just, I'm just expressing the praise and worship due him. And he comes in and he says, God, you are awesome. You're an awesome God. And, and Lord, listen, you keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you. And, and you love those who keep your commandments. And so... So the first thing we need to learn when we pray is praise to God. Praise to God. If you're taking note, write one thing down. 
that you need to praise God for even tonight. How beautiful he is. How merciful he is. What do you deserve? Oh, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. But let's not make it something simple. God's good. God is good. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food we just ate. Nothing like that. But really, what what are you praising God for? Because next we're going to move to confession. Look at verse 5. We have sinned. Wait, who? We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgment. Sounds like us, does it not? Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke your name to the kings and our princesses, to our fathers and all the people of the land. Oh, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, the shame of face, as it is to this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those near and those far off, all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, our king, our princes, our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Though we've rebelled against him, we've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So first and foremost, he starts with praise. Second, it's confession. And you're going, well, wait, wait, wait. Daniel didn't do all that stuff. No, but see, we're a, we're a body. And so I think that's all we need to confess. We need to confess our sins. We need to confess when we don't really hear the, the Lord or we don't really obey God. We need to confess the fact that, that, that our country is killing millions of babies in the name of convenience. We need to confess that we, as a country, have turned our back on God. We need to confess those sins. We've left the Word of God, church. We've left the Word of God. We've, we've, we've walked away from that. We've, we've smiled as we've read it, but it hasn't penetrated our hearts. It hasn't broken us to the place where we're on our face in repentance, saying, God, this is, this is what he says. He says, we've sinned. We've sinned. Now, I've got to be honest with you in reading this. I thank even more the Lord Jesus for coming and dying for my sins. I don't have to feel the weight of the guilt of that, but I also need to confess, so I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. But let me ask you a question, church. Let me ask you a question. You might be here today, and you might be a super saved man. You, you love Jesus, but maybe there's something in your heart deep inside that you haven't confessed to God. Maybe you're struggling with something that you're just like, oh, well, don't, don't get us together, Ben. Don't get us in a group because I'm definitely not going to confess that. But the point is, is that we're confessing to God. Why? Well, notice again, notice the results of sin. Verse 11 through 14, these are the results. David, Daniel writes, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed as so not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God have been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and our judges who judged us by bringing us up, by bringing upon this great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done what has been done in Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all the disasters come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God. 
that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought, upon, and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. First thing, when we pray, we're going to pray and we're going to praise God. The second thing is we're going to offer confession. We're going to offer confession. Why? The results of sin. He's going, listen, this is what happened when we walked away from you. This is what you brought to Jerusalem. You see, when, when we are being taken captive, when we were being left, when we are being torn apart from our families and our friends and everything we knew in Jerusalem, it's because we've sinned against you. God is sovereign. And yet, even when they saw all of this happening, they didn't turn from their iniquities or understand their truth. Will you guys do me a favor? When we get together and pray, would you just ask the Lord, is there anything in my heart? Is there anything, God? Help me to understand your truth. Look at verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought you people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and you made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain because of our sins, for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are reproach to those around us. Here's our request. O Lord God, Here's our request. Here's our request. According to your righteousness, isn't that a great request? According to you, oh Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem. That's a great request. And then he gives, us, then he gives the second part of the Amidah. The second request, look at verse 17. Now therefore, our God, hear my prayer the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine in your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deed, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people called by your name. Daniel, Daniel writes to us and he says, hey, it's almost time. We're about to go home. Now, here's the thing you don't understand. Daniel never made it back to Jerusalem, but a lot of the people did. Daniel died. There in Babylon. We're about to go home. We're about to go home. I think we should pray. I think we should pray. Well, Ben, what are we, what are we praying about? Well, remember, the main point of what Daniel is praying right now. Okay, so, so again, let me put this in your head. He's 80 years old. He's 81, 83 years old. He's already lived that. He's, just, he's remembering and he's writing again 
But think about this. He's already lived that. Okay? And so, and so he, he says, I've already lived. I've lived a good life. I, I, I could die. I don't think I'm going to go back. Everything he's known in Jerusalem is gone. He, he, he doesn't know anything of what, when he was a young, young man. So what would Daniel have to confess? Because, you see, the main point of his prayer is nothing but confession before God and repentance. And repentance. So here's what we're going to do. Can we tonight, church, take a little time to pray much like Daniel? And you go, why? Why? Because it's almost time to go home. It's almost time to go home. And this is, what we, this is what we should learn in prayer. If there's something specific, make sure you name the sins we're confessing. <laughs> Let's recognize the results of sin. Let's put our faith in Jesus who took away the wrath of God. And then last but not least, let's remember to ask God to hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. You see, right now it's 8.15. Pastor Soph is on this side, and I asked him to stay in here because he's going to lead this group right here. If you all don't mind, let's just spend some time in prayer right here. We've got Adam over here and Keon, so let's get a group here. And let's just spend some time in prayer. We've learned how to pray. Praise, confession, then we'll give our requests. And so, if you'll gather together right here, and and we're going to spend 15 minutes in prayer, not a lot, and then I'll come back here and dismiss us at 8.30. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.